Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Lord willing, we will, uh, tonight we're going to begin a series through Galatians and work our way, hopefully, through all of the different epistles here. Galatians chapter 1, and if you are able to stand, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Well, I did end up putting that candy in my mouth. You need to keep your distance from the Bible when you're eating something sweet. Have you ever found in your Bible reading that every now and then pages will stick together? Well, I know why. All right. Verses 1, 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're just gonna, going to be studying from, from the salutation. We won't really get into the heart of the book yet, but we will get into a little introductory facet of the book, of the letter. So let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts. We are thankful for this wonderful portion of scripture in Galatians. And I trust this will be a great comfort and it would give light to those who struggle with eternal security. It would give understanding to those who uh, wonder about their own works and and the, the work of the law and things like that. May they have a good grasp on salvation as we go through this and how the work of grace takes effect in our lives. Help me to speak. Bless our special music now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. C.C. Winans doesn't have anything on you. That is a great song. I think that might tie in with what we're going to talk about here. If you'll take your Bible, I want us to look at these uh, scriptures carefully. And let me give you a little backdrop as to why Paul wrote this and who he wrote it to. So, he wrote it to the Gauls. It's called Galatians. To the Gauls that had migrated When we think of Gauls, if you know anything about Roman history, we think of Germany and that portion of Europe. But the reality was, 300 B.C., there were many Gauls that migrated east and southeast into the Asia Minor area. Lystra would have been considered that. And uh, many of these people were very receptive to the gospel. Of course, uh, there was some work getting the gospel light in there, but Paul was persistent. And they had received the the gospel of grace, and after Paul had preached and uh, churches established, he moved on, 
And, but after he left, grievous wolves came in, like they always do, to stir things up. And one of the things they did, and the, <clears throat> because the custom often was he would go to a new location and find a Jewish synagogue, preach to the Jews first, and then to any Gentiles, and then reach out to the rest of the people. Uh, that's why in Romans 1.16, he says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right. But... Uh, many of the Gentiles, these, these were not Greeks, these were Gauls, barbarians. And uh, they had received the gospel, but now they're being influenced by Jewish people who have added the law to the, salv- to, uh, the gospel of grace. And as they're in these churches, they're beginning to teach people that if you don't do this, if you're not circumcised, and if you don't keep this law, and this, then you're not saved. You have to do that along with believe in Messiah. And Paul has to nip that in the bud, like Barney Fife right here, okay? A little heavier duty. He's got more than one bullet that he uses. But he's got to deal with that. But not only does he have to deal with that, Paul often had to deal with character assassination you see Paul was not part of the original 12 disciples you're privy to that if not that's the reality as a matter of fact Paul was not with Peter James and John when Jesus walked on this earth but we do know according to Acts chapter 9 that the Lord Jesus personally came to Paul spoke to him And Paul received him as his Savior in that personal confrontation by meeting the resurrected Christ. Paul is an apostle. And Paul, so Paul being privy to this, what what these, they're called, I know it's a a Judaizers, okay? If If you teach, you're familiar with that term. If you've read through the Bible, you may have seen it. But they've come into the church and they've assassinated Paul's character. They are saying he's not part of the original He's made up this stuff, and then they're adding works to salvation. In a nutshell, those are the two primary issues. And that is why, and often you can figure out the problems by the way a text reads. Having that in mind, let's read this again. And remember who he's writing to. He knows that they've been influenced by antagonizers of his character by the way, if somebody can't change the message, they go after the messenger. And so, Paul, an apostle, not of men, look at verse 1, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He Right off the get-go, right out of the gate, he wants them to know, I'm not man called. I didn't get this position by proxy either. I got it because Jesus Christ and He alone called me. By the way, that's the best way to be called to the ministry, is knowing that God has called you. I know in my own case, personally, I, didn't, I wasn't privy to a, an audible call. All I knew was there was a fire that burned in my heart to serve, and as doors opened, I took advantage, and the next thing I know, I'm pastoring a church, so I guess I'm called. I like it. I like to preach. I, Brother Pete, when you pastored and preached it, God put that desire in there. The devil's not going to do that. And so, um, 
That's how we understand it. And we move on here, verse 2, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So this was a letter that would traverse the areas and the different local churches. Grace be to you in peace. Now verse 3 is significant. Let me touch on this for just a moment. But you're going to find in every letter that the Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he always has this statement right at the beginning in the salutation, grace and peace. And the order is significant because you and I can't have peace until we first received God's grace. There is no peace if you reject the grace. The grace, it comes through Jesus Christ, the mediator. If you reject him, then you don't get peace. There is no peace to the wicked. Then we come to verse 4, and this is the verse that gets my attention. Who gave himself for our sins, referring to Jesus Christ, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Now, <clears throat> let's consider something. As, he, as Paul writes this, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Now, remember in Paul's mind, he's dealing with false teaching and character assassination. But he's really, he's very concerned about people being led the wrong way because if your beliefs change, your behavior will change. That's just the reality of it. And Paul wants to clean this up. And as he writes this, he says, The Lord Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil world. And I believe in one sense, in one sense, Paul was calling uh, work salvation evil. Because any time, any time you and I would, uh, would put our dependency in our good works to earn salvation... That's an evil work. Did you understand that statement? There's a lot of things that are good, but if your dependency for heaven is based on you coming to church, no, that's weak. Matter of fact, our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. It's an evil work compared to the blood of Christ. It's an evil work to think that you and I as a sinner... You and I who have this huge debt, you and I who are limited in our abilities, finite in our thinking, actually have the ability to climb the ladder to God. Well, that's evil. God knows it's wrong, and so Paul's nipping that in the bud. Now that term might there, did you catch that term in verse 4? Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world? Let me just touch on this real quick. Might. Now, is that talking about God's ability or our desire? That's exactly, it's not talking about God's ability. There's no might when it comes to the potency of God. There's no might when it comes to the infinite wisdom of God. No might in the sense of maybe, maybe not. No, no, no. There's no might when it comes to can God save you? No, no, he, he can. The question at hand is always, will we let him? 
You know, nobody will go to heaven who doesn't want to go there. You can chew on that for a moment. But nobody will go to heaven who doesn't want to go there. Now, there will be people in hell who don't want to go there. But uh, <clears throat> there won't be people in heaven who don't want to go there. Now, I want, to cons- I want us to look at some things here in regards to this deliverance from evil. Sometimes deliverance comes when we least expect it. When we least expect it. That is, we're not even looking for it. Maybe we wanted it, but we didn't know it was coming, or we didn't know necessarily all the details of how it happened. I was eight years old, living in Traverse City, Michigan with my mother. I was invited to a birthday party with Bob Hewlett. And <clears throat> Bob was turning eight or nine, and uh, he had a bunch of guys from our class uh, that he invited to this birthday party. And man, it was a big thing for me. I'm, I'm kind of new. But there was one issue that I didn't tell anybody. I didn't know how to swim. And the party's at a pool, a big swimming pool. And they're all splashing around. I'm kind of staying in the shallow area. You know, a man's got to know his limitations. And uh, I noticed, I noticed that uh, a bunch of them were getting together and they were diving in the water and, and going all the way across. And I could hold my head underwater. I, I didn't know how to do that. And I thought to myself, you know, I think I can make it across if I get a good push. And so I remember this. I remember, <clears throat> okay, so the long end of the pool is this way, and the short side of the pool was this way. But it was still a, like an Olympic-sized pool. It was a big pool. Maybe not quite an olympic size, But uh, I remember thinking, okay, if I can just keep my head underwater, And if I get enough speed, I can coast across and make it to the other side. And so I shut my eyes, held my breath, and I went to the water. And I went like this, and 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 went like this. And I thought, man, i got to be there by now. And I went to open my mouth and eyes, and I was deep in water. As a matter of fact, At eight years old, I remember this very clearly. My brief little life is passing before my eyes. The next thing I know, I am laying on the side of the pool, coughing up water. I don't know what happened. I don't know who got me out of the water. I'm glad they did. I'm glad somebody rescued me. Uh, when I couldn't do a single thing about it. You know, sometimes grace works just like that. You know that poor fella in Gadara that was filled with a legion of devils? He couldn't do a thing about his salvation. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if he knew enough to call out for Jesus, but Jesus showed up and rescued him from that present evil condition. I don't know how your salvation worked, but I do know there are times God, even when we don't ask, reaches down in grace. Because really, really the theme of the book of Galatians is grace given clarity, or the clarity of grace, or or grace crystal clear. I thought about calling it that. Because Paul is just clearing it up here. And right from the get-go, he talks about this 
deliverance from this present evil world. And how many of us, we weren't looking for him when he came to us. Now, that may not be the case with everybody in the room, but the fact of the matter is, there are plenty of people. I look, at the, I look through the Bible. Okay, so here's some characters in the Bible who found deliverance when they didn't think it was possible. Here's one guy. He's an Egyptian. He's laying dead. He's laying in the field and he's left for dead. And David and his 600 men are traversing along, looking to recover everything that had been stolen from them. And they find this Egyptian laying in the field in 1 Samuel 30. He's left for dead, but he's still alive. And David talks to him. They give him water and they give him food and they resuscitate him. And the man tells him who he, who he is and who he was with. And apparently he was with the group of people, the Amalekites, who stole everything from David. And he said, my, I, I fell sick and my master left me for dead. That's exactly what the devil will do for you. He'll leave you for dead. That's what the world would do. Once the world gets what they want out of you, they don't care about your condition. If you can't help them anymore, they're done with you. But that's not the way it works with Jesus. And old David picks him up and helps him, restores him, and that fellow's rescued. He's delivered. He wasn't looking for it. Oh, here's a great story in Jeremiah 52, right at the end of the book of Jeremiah. There's a king that's been in jail, in prison for 38 years. King Jehoiakim. For 38 years he's been in prison. And the Bible says... At the reign of, of all names, they had to name this king Evil Murdoch. That is one unusual name in my English language, okay? Evil Murdoch. But this fella, he wasn't so evil. The Bible says he lifted him up out of prison, and he, he clothed him, and he fed him, and he took care of him, and he, he, he treated him as part of the family the remainder of his life. I don't think Jehoiakim was expecting anything like that, but just out of the blue, grace was shown to that man. Oh, here's another guy, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was uh, the grandson of King Saul. Remember the man who chased David around like a wild animal? Mephibosheth was lame on his feet. He had, a, he had broke his feet as a child while they were running uh, during a, a warfare. And uh, his, his family doesn't have time to mend him. And so he, he grows to adulthood with lame feet. He can't hardly walk. And he's living in a place called Lodabar, which means no pasture. But now that David is king and David is uh, at the uh, pinnacle of his reign, he remembers his friend Jonathan. And Mephibosheth just happens to be the son of Jonathan who died a number of years ago. And David said, where's he at? He's in Lodabar. Let's go get him. Mephibosheth comes in in 2 Samuel 9. And Mephibosheth, you can tell he's got an inferiority complex. He's been a lonely, isolated, despondent man. 
And when he enters the household of the king, he humbles himself and he calls himself a dog. He doesn't feel worthy. And he's actually fearful of his life because he knows his granddaddy was at war with David. He may have been too young to hear all the story of his father, Jonathan. And so David immediately calms his nerves and says, Fear not, and offers him an opportunity to live in the castle and to eat at his table the rest of his life. Well, he wasn't expecting that. How often God, the goodness of God, comes into our lives when we didn't even expect it. When we weren't looking for it, and may I add, when we didn't even deserve it. And yet God showed us grace. I'm pretty sure everybody here, if you think about your life and look back, how often did God spare you when you weren't even looking to be spared? Maybe it was you were driving down the road, you fell asleep at the wheel, you looked up just in time to turn. And you think, whew. And yet how many other people that's not happened to, but God for some reason spared you. I'm going to make a statement, and you're going to hear me say it a lot as we go through the book of Galatians. With grace comes responsibility. With grace comes responsibility. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Does that mean, well, he can just kick back and relax? Not at all. You're familiar with the story. The grace that he received was the knowledge of the impending judgment and the wisdom to build an ark and prepare for this judgment. So, in each case, these people did not expect it, but they got it. They got deliverance. Sometimes deliverance comes because you seek it, though. I mean, you're seeking it. I've got another incident where I almost drowned. So I'll begin with this. This time, I'm in junior high. That's a difficult time for kids. You talk about insecurities. So, uh, the whole class goes to uh, Pam Campbell's house. Pam, if you're watching, you might remember. And there's about 30 of us, and they've got a great big pond with with a floating dock out in the middle. Well, between you and I, uh, I had not learned a whole lot more about swimming from the time I was 8 to 12 years old. But they're, they're all jumping in the water, so I'm jumping in the water, and I knew how to do this doggy paddle deal. But that'll only hold out so long. I remember this time, I remember everybody's in the water, I'm thinking, all right, you're holding up. I mean, I'm putting my feet down to see where I can feel, if I can feel it, the bottom, you know. And I'm getting up to here, and I'm thinking, ah, you might be a little too far. Get closer, get over here. But everybody's in the deeper water, so I'm over there just trying to be cool, you know, with the rest of the junior hires. And uh, some of them are on the dock diving in and all that. And so I'm just acting like I, I know what I'm doing in my brain. I know I'm not. I'm trying to live cautiously. Next thing I know, I'm out of gas. I can't find the bottom of the pond. And I'm going, bloop, bloop, bloop. And of all people, Julie Pulaski is on the, on the floating dock, and she is just a few feet from me. And I had to say, Julie, 
and I reached my hand up, and yes, I was saved by a Polish gal. Oh, Julie. But I was seeking it. Israel, it got so bad in Egypt, they were seeking it. When David was fleeing from Saul and he was surrounded in Keilah, he sought deliverance and God gave it to him. Sometimes deliverance comes because we seek it. Now deliverance from this present evil has more to do with, in this particular phrase though, in this, in this statement that we read here, who gave himself for our sins, that is that Jesus Christ substituted himself in our place because uh, if he didn't, we would have to die eternally paying for our sins. But Jesus in His love and His mercy and His grace took our place. He was our substitute. And, uh, but why? That He might deliver us from this present evil world. The statement there of evil is actually, it's more in reference to influence than it is environment or situations. Okay? Influence. And so it, it'd be kind of like this. Uh, while we're here on this earth, we're around a lot of evil. But we don't have to be part of it. Okay? We're stuck here and we can't remove it. And yet he says he'll deliver us from this present evil world. Well, how's that going to take place? Well, that takes place by us continuing in His grace. Uh, it takes place kind of like this. So Daniel and his buddies are spared death by being brought into captivity to Babylon. Now, are they in an evil place? Yes or no? Well, yeah, they are. But now they make a decision. They've received grace. They know it. We're alive. With grace comes responsibility. And Daniel, one of the few, along with the other three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and for some reason their Hebrew names are slipping me, uh, they all, with Daniel, make a decision. We're not going to defile ourselves. So we've been rescued, we've been delivered, but we better make a decision here. And they do, and they're tested... But in their testing, God reveals, I can deliver you from this present evil world. I can deliver you. I'll deliver. In chapter 1, He delivered them, and they, a statement was made before the king that, you know what, their way of living is actually healthier. Their way of living, they seem to be more prudent to matters. They seem more intelligent they seem more sober, their way of living. So it's not hurting them by ignoring our customs and our culture. So as long as they're not hurting me as a king, well, let them be. And then later on, the other three would have to make a decision during a great time of testing. Everybody's supposed to bow down to this golden image that the king thinks is worth worship, but they choose not to, 
they're thrown in the fiery furnace, and there again, they're delivered from that present evil world. Now listen, just because we live in an evil world doesn't mean we have to be influenced by the evil world. And the Lord Jesus, through His grace and mercy, can deliver you and I, just like He delivered them. But inevitably, remember what it says, remember the reading, that He might deliver us. Did you catch that? That refers to our end, not the Lord's end. Our end. And what is our end? Our end is, do I choose to accept His means of deliverance? I've received salvation by grace. Yes, I got a get-out-of-jail-free card. But you got more than that, and Jesus died for you for more than that. He come to save us from our sin. We're naturally attracted to much of the evil in this world. And most of us that have lived a while understand that, you know, when I make decisions without Christ, it does not always turn out well. As a matter of fact, most of the time it brings problems in my life. I need deliverance from me. Well, there's an answer. It's grace, the grace of Christ. As we have received Him, God says, follow Him. Continue to follow Him. Continue to go His direction. He throws the rope of safety in this present evil world and says, Here, take my word. And follow it, holding fast the word of life, or holding forth the word of life. So, <clears throat> He has given us deliverance over the power of sin, but we must choose to let His grace lead us and not our flesh. And we'll read about that in this, uh, this letter. Now consider this. If there's an individual that says, you know, I don't want to be delivered from the evil influence then can you expect to be delivered from an evil situation? Somebody says, you know, I don't want to be delivered from my adulterous relationship. Okay, then when you're on the hospital bed about to kick the bucket, do you want to be delivered from that? Or if there's a home invasion, you think you can expect God's blessing to help deliver you? You all with me here? You see, if you're not concerned about being delivered from the evil influence, and what, what, merit, what confidence do we have when other evils come upon us? I believe those three Hebrews had a great confidence when it came to being thrown in the fire because from the very beginning they said, we purpose with Daniel not to devile ourselves. And now that looks like we might be thrown in an evil situation, that's all right. The same God that delivered us from the influence can deliver us from the environment. Either way, though, we're good. Because He'll either let us move on to glory real quick, or He's going to rescue us from this fire. It's nothing to God. As a matter of fact, they said, O King, we will not bow down, for our God is able to deliver us. But if not, but if not, that's, that's in the text in Daniel 3. But if not, king, we're not going to bow down. You know what they were saying? We've been delivered from the evil influence and we're going to stay away from it. It's been good to stay away from the evil influence. 
and a threat by fire, it's nothing. So, this all has to do with protecting our testimony while we're here. Now, no one truly gets delivered who doesn't want to be delivered. You know, uh, you throw a lifeline to a guy that's swimming and feels like he can make it to shore, he's not going to take it for the most part. Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. But it's the person that knows they're drowning, they're going to take it. I need it. I need it. And to understand, when you take the grace of God, it's not just to deliver you from hell, but it's to deliver you from this present evil world. It creates a change in our lives. All right? The day will come when those who have been delivered from the penalty of sin will be delivered from the presence of sin. Every single one of us. Either by death or by rapture, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. Now, uh, we've buried a number of people this past year. I'm looking at Patty, so I'll think of Dennis. He's been delivered. Completely. Uh, Steve has been completely delivered. Don has been completely delivered. I'm going to look around. I'm going to miss somebody and don't get mad at me. But if your loved one has received Christ and they had died, they have been delivered now. Maybe they struggled with sin. They were saved, but they've been delivered now. My dad struggled with alcohol. And just because, just because he struggled with it didn't mean he wasn't saved. He got his deliverance. Finally. Free. I think of another young man, I won't mention his name, years ago, had a meth problem, claimed to be saved. The very means by which he died was a testimony to me that God took him home because he couldn't get victory and other people needed to see how bad it is what that stuff can do to you. But one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. So we go all the way back to Genesis 5 and we read about a man by the name of Enoch. And the Bible tells us that Enoch lived 65 years with, without walking with God. For 65 years, as far as we know, he lived an ordinary life like any other Joe. And... Uh, <clears throat> He wasn't walking with God, we know that. Because the Bible tells us at the age of 65, he had a baby. And the name of that baby was called Methuselah. And God specifically says at the birth of Methuselah, after the birth of Methuselah, it specifically says there, it's the turning point. It says, then Enoch walked with God. Now, a baby can change somebody's life. And God had a message through that baby. I just think it's fascinating that Methuselah would live long enough and he would die the year of the flood. My opinion is he died the day of the flood. But either way, 
So Enoch begins walking with God now. And when you're walking with God, guess what you're delivered from? You're delivered from the influence of evil. Hello. I mean, you are delivered from the influence of evil. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Come on now. If you're walking with God, you are delivered from evil. It's hard to have your hand in one, one relationship that's evil and another one that's good. It's not going to last. You can't. That's why the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's just not going to work with Christ. What concord hath Christ in Belial? None. So if you're walking with God, man, you are delivered. And Enoch was delivered. And for like the next 300 years, Enoch walked with God. That's a pretty good uh, distance. And then one day, then one day, God says, Enoch, you just come on home. He doesn't even die a mortal death. That day he was delivered from the presence of evil. And by the way, he lived in a present evil world. If you read the book of Jude where we read about Enoch's message, he was preaching thunder and lightning. He was preaching against their unrighteous, sinful deeds, these ungodly people who did this and that, these ungodly sinners and how judgment's going to come. We wouldn't have known that had Jude, had the Spirit of God not given Jude this information. But we discovered that through Jude, God wanted us to know something about Enoch. He was living in a very wicked, evil world. And it is apparent that God told Enoch, judgment's coming. That's why he started walking with God. And for him, glory to God, the day came. He slipped from the the presence of evil to the absence of evil into the presence of the Lord. Good. Gone. And that's going to happen to you and I if you know Christ and if you're walking with him. What a way to finish. What a way to finish. All right, that's our Bible study. Lord, bless the service. Thank you for your word. May your spirit help us, Lord. We'll sing a song of invitation. I don't know your situation. I don't know if, uh, what you're struggling with, but I know that the Lord has grace to give you victory and to help you. In the culture that we live in, we need deliverance. We need deliverance. So you do as the Lord leads as we sing this song of invitation. Father, I ask you to bless. In Jesus' name, amen.